morning, please take out your Bible again and go back with me to the Old Testament. And let's go to the book of Nehemiah now. Will you go with me to Nehemiah, the eighth chapter? Please go in your Bible with me, the Nehemiah chapter eight. I want to begin this part of our worship by reading to you a very lengthy text, but I'm going to ask you, beg you, to hang with me as we read all of this, because this scripture reading will set up perfectly what we're going to be considering in this part of our worship to God. So we're going to start with Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 1. And the Bible says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasa on his right, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadani, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Benaiah, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maasa, Kalida, Azariah, Josabed, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Fifty-two days. Fifty-two days. Remember, that is how long it took one of the greatest leaders that we can read about in the Bible to restore the walls of Jerusalem following the Babylonian captivity. Remember, after being in ruins for several decades, by the time we get to the end of Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah and the people who worked alongside with him are finished. The walls are, are finished. Jerusalem is, is fully secure again. They're no longer a laughing stock to the heathen nations who surrounded them. They have experienced a great physical 
restoration in their city. In fact, not only do they experience a great physical restoration in their city, but as we just read here in these verses, we see that they also experienced a great spiritual restoration in their city. They also experienced a great spiritual revival and arousal. This actually took place, the Bible says, at the square which was in front of the water gate. In front of the water gate, the Bible says that a great assembly of God's people came together. A great assembly of men and women and even children came together. They came together not to discuss and, and celebrate the restoration of their walls. Instead, they came together to discuss and celebrate the word of God. They came together to read the word of God. They came together to be taught the word of God. They came together to be fed the word of God as it was read to them by, by the scribe Ezra. The Bible says that a great spiritual revival took place in the city of Jerusalem. And if you don't mind this morning in this study, I want to talk with you about that. This morning, I want to talk with you about what we find in Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. I want us to experience spiritual revival. I want us to consider not the physical project that is often studied from the book of Nehemiah, but instead I want us to study this, this spiritual project. I want us to consider this spiritual restoration that took place. When this great assembly of God's people came together in front of the water gate this morning, I want to know what kind of attitude did these people have on this occasion? What kind of mindset did they have? What kind of mindset did they have towards the word of God? When we study Nehemiah chapter 8 very carefully, one of the things we see is when it came to the word of God, these people who were gathered outside of the water gate, they craved it. They, they craved the word of God. They hungered for it. They sincerely desired for it to be fed into, into their hearts. I believe that there are several parts of the text that clearly show us this. For example, go back to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 1. Notice how in verse number 1, we see that when it came to the word of God, this great assembly of God's people who had come together, they, they asked for it. They asked for the word of God. Verse number eight says they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Nehemiah eight and verse one. Notice how these people are asking for the scriptures. They're asking to hear the scriptures They're asking for the scriptures to be read to them by the scribe Ezra. In fact, not only do they ask for the scriptures, but in verse number two, we also see that they listen to the scriptures. They listen very carefully to the scriptures. The men, the women, even the children, they were all laser focused in on everything that the scriptures had to say. They asked for the scriptures. They listened to the scriptures. And then thirdly, they also sought to understand the scriptures. They also sought to grasp it. 
and comprehend it. They also sought, according to verse 8, to give sense of it so that they could understand its meaning. These people, they sought to understand the scriptures, their attitude. Their attitude is very different than a lot of folks today. You see, unlike a lot of religious folks today, these people here gather outside of the water gate. They did not believe that it is impossible for us to understand the word of God. They did not come across difficult scripture, uh, sections of the scriptures and say, well, you know, we, we just need to give up on this because there's no way we're going to be able to understand this. There's no way we're going to be able to comprehend and, and grasp this. There's no way we're going to be able to, to comprehend what Ezra is reading here. What Ezra is reading here is it, too hard. It's too confusing. It's way over our heads. Why didn't God just make this stuff easier for us to, to understand? When it came to hearing, reading, and teaching from the Word of God, these people, they didn't gripe. They didn't complain. They didn't moan about the richness and the vastness of God's word. Instead, when they came to parts of the scriptures, maybe where they struggle with understanding, the Bible says they, they worked hard together to understand it. They worked hard together to get a correct understanding of the things that they were reading and hearing on this day. The scripture says they asked for the word of God. And they listened very carefully to it. And they sought to get a good understanding of it. And the Bible also says they, they did all of this stuff for a very long time. They did all of this for a very long time. In verse number three, we see that these people, these families, these mothers and these fathers and these children, they were gathered together in this great assembly from early morning until midday. Do you know what that means? That means that these people, these families, these mothers, fathers, and children, they were assembled together for about six hours. For about six hours, these people were outside standing for much of the time and being fed the word of God. I got to tell you that that information that the Bible gives us there should make us real, really feel kind of bad if, if we start complaining when a preacher goes past 35 minutes in a sermon. That should make us feel really bad if we struggle with coming to Bible classes on Sunday morning and the Wednesday nights, that should really bring some shame to us if we ever find ourselves complaining because our shepherds, our elders, have appointed a three-hour period for us to come together on the first day of the week to worship God. These people here, they were gathered together longer than three hours on a Sunday. They were gathered together longer than the time even we are together here on the first day of the week. These people were gathered together for about six hours from early morning until midday. That's how much all these people craved the word of God. The question is, is what about us? What about us? Do we, do we crave the word of God like them? Do we desire the word of God like them? Do we long to be fed the word of God like them? 
Well, you go into your Bible, please. Keep your Bible marker at Nehemiah 8. We're going to come back there. But please go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. Here Peter is writing to Christians. And in 1 Peter 2 to verse number 1, Peter says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse number 2, he says, Like newborn babies, Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Question, do those verses describe you in your life right now? I mean, in your life right now, do you crave the word of God like that? Do you long to be fed the word of God like a baby longs to be fed milk? I submit to you that if we crave and long for the word of God, like Peter is talking about there in those verses, then you know what that means? That means that we are currently exactly where we're supposed to be in our Bible reading schedule right now. That means that we have not fallen off that wagon at any point this year. That means that by this time in the year, we have read many of the songs. And we've read much of the book of Proverbs and the book of Job, and we've completed the book of Ecclesiastes. That means that we are ready to start Psalm 57 through 61 this week. In fact, maybe we've already read it for the week. Maybe we're way ahead in our Bible reading schedule. People who really crave the word of God, they'll do stuff like that. People who really crave the word of God, They're very serious about daily Bible reading, but they're not just serious about daily Bible reading. They're also excited about the Bible. They don't view this as just something you check off to do to say you've done it. No, they're excited about the Bible. They're excited about all the Bible. They're excited about the New Testament that we read last year, but not just the New Testament. They're also excited about this Old Testament. They're excited about the wisdom literature. They're excited about all of it. They're excited about all the Bible. They're excited about coming to Bible classes and preparing for Bible classes. They're excited about hearing preaching and teaching from the Bible. They're the kind of people who will read the Bible in the break room at work. And they'll read the Bible at the breakfast table while they're having a cup of coffee in the morning. And they'll read the Bible with their spouse and and with their kids. And and they'll also read the Bible on vacation. They'll also read the Bible when they're on a camping trip or a fishing trip. Or if they're overseas or if they're in another state visiting family. People who truly crave and long for the Bible, they never take a vacation from it. They never take a vacation from the Bible. In fact, they look at time away from the hustle and the bustle of life as an opportunity to do more Bible reading. To get deeper in the Bible, to reread books of the Bible, to reread verses that maybe they've read dozens and dozens of times before. That's the kind of stuff that people who crave and long for the word of God do, the question is, is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? Do you crave the word of God? My dear friends, and I'm saying this in love, 
If you sit there in the pew this morning and you realize that you're no longer craving the word of God, I want to urge you. I want to urge you to start craving it again. I want to urge you to start desiring it again. I want to urge you to start longing for it in your life again. I want to urge you to get another Bible reading schedule before you leave this morning and get back on that wagon again and just start at Psalm 57. Forget the rest of that. It's over. Start at Psalm 57 tomorrow. Start with Psalm 57. Start coming to Bible class this Wednesday night. Come to Bible class next Sunday. If you're struggling with reading your Bible, download you an app today where you can listen to someone read you the Bible while you're driving or maybe stuck in traffic. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using this technology God has given us to feed the word of God into our hearts. You see, it doesn't matter how you decide to get into the Bible. The point is just get into it. Get into the Bible. Crave it. Desire it. Long for it. Be like these people here in Nehemiah chapter 8. These people had a deep craving for the word of God. But not only did they crave the word of God, a second thing I want to show you is how they also were awed. They were awed by the word of God. They were awed by the word of God. And when I say they were awed by the word of God, I mean that they were, they were really impressed by the word of God. I mean that they were changed by the word of God. They understood the significance of the word of God and, and why it was so special. This is something else that I think we, we see clearly in the text. I want you to notice again, Nehemiah 8 and verse 3. This should say verse 3 on here, so write that down in your notes. Notice how according to Nehemiah 8 and verse 3, the scripture says that as Ezra read from the, from the word of God and the presence of the men and the women and the children, they were attentive. You see that? The scripture says they were attentive. They were paying close attention to the things that were being read. Why did they do that? Well, they did that because they understood that what, Neil, what, what Ezra was reading from, it wasn't just an ordinary book. It wasn't just an ordinary message. It wasn't just some product that came from the mind of men. And said so these people understood that Ezra was reading to them a product that came from the mind of God. They understood that they were hearing the literal and actual word of God. They knew they were hearing an inspired message from the one who created them, the one who actually delivered them from that Babylonian captivity. They understood that. They were attentive on this day because they knew that the Bible was special. They knew that they were hearing from God himself. In fact, this explains the next thing they did, and that is in addition to being attentive, they also stood up. They also all stood up. The men stood up. The women stood up. The children stood up. They all stood up as Ezra opened up the word of God. Why did they do that? Well, they did it out of respect. They did it out of reverence. They did it because they viewed reading the word of God as sacred. This was a very sacred 
and powerful moment for them. In fact, it was so sacred and it was so powerful that in verses 6 through 12, we learn that they were touched by it. They were touched by the reading from the word of God. They mourned. They cried. They lifted their hands. They said, amen, amen. They even grieved in their hearts because they knew that they had not been doing what the verses say. They knew they had not been very faithful to God. They knew that they had not repaid God's grace and his mercy and his kindness with loyalty and devotion. These people not only listened to the word of God, but they also were touched by it. They also allowed it to penetrate deep into their hearts and do for them what God intended for it to do. Now, that's what we learn about this great assembly here in Nehemiah chapter eight. The question, though, is, is what about what about you? What about me and you? What about us? What is the word of God doing for us in our lives right now? How do we feel about the word of God even today? Are we awed by the word of God? Are we impressed with the word of God? Do we have a high level of admiration for the word of God? Because we know that every part of it, every part of it comes from God. When you go in your Bible back to the scripture reading this morning, Brother Josiah read for us, 2 Timothy. Let's go back there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, and verse 16. Paul says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's a lot. There's a lot we could say about those verses this morning. There's a lot we could say about it. We could do a whole sermon just on those two verses. But for the purpose of this sermon, what I want to highlight is how there in those verses, Paul is talking about the source of the Bible. He's talking about the source of the book that we are blessed to have access to today. He is telling us that the source of this book that we are looking at this morning, the source of that book is God. The source of that book is the one who created us. Every part of this book, every part of this book has its source in the one who created us. The source of all of that. Think about this. The source of all of this is God. The source of the book of Genesis is God. The source of the Gospels is God. The source of the minor prophets that we neglect so often and the major prophets even is God. The source of the wisdom literature that we're reading this year, it is God. Even the source of the book that we're studying right now in our Bible classes, a book that frustrates us at times, a book that can be confusing because it's loaded with all kinds of signs and symbols and apocalyptic language. Even that book. The source of that book is God. Paul says that every part of the Bible comes from God. And you know what that ultimately means? That ultimately means that every part of the Bible is special. 
That ultimately means that every part of the Bible is superior to every other book on planet Earth. It is all superior to anything written by Shakespeare or Homer or C.S. Lewis. It is all superior to any Bible class workbook or commentary that we may have in our library at home. It is all superior to any secular writings written by famous historians or scientists or even a wonderful document like our Declaration of Independence. My dear friends, I don't care what we may try to bring to the table this morning. Nothing compares to the Bible. Nothing is superior to the Bible. Nothing should cause us to stand in awe and be impressed like the Bible. The Bible is by far the most superior book on the face of the planet. That's the fact about the matter. The question is, do we believe that? Do we really believe that? I want to suggest that if we really believe that, then we'll do some practical things. First, like we've already said, if we're really in all of the Bible, and if we really believe the Bible is a special book, the only way God talks to us today, then we're going to read it. We're going to read it every single day. Every single day, we're going to talk to God through prayer, and we're going to let, us, let him talk to us through his word. We're going to read that book every day. We won't just read it, but we're going to be excited about it. We're going to be excited about reading the Bible because we know through this book, God loved us enough to speak to us. We're going to read it. We're going to be excited about it, and we're going to respect it. We're going to have a high level of respect for the Bible. We're going to have respect and reverence for it whenever it's read and taught from publicly. Whenever a man stands before us to teach us or just simply read the scriptures, we may not stand up like those people did in Nehemiah chapter 8, but we'll at least listen. We'll at least listen very carefully to the message that the man is, is speaking from. We will listen to that message, not because the one who is presenting the message is so great or so special. He's not. Instead, the source of his message, it's so great. It's so special. It is worthy to be listened to very carefully because it is coming from the one who made us. If we really respect the Bible, then we'll listen carefully. Whenever it is read and it is taught from, and you know what else we'll do? We'll also make sure we handle it properly. We'll also make sure that we rightly divide it. We will handle the word of God with great precision and accuracy. We will avoid making the Bible mean whatever we want it to mean. Taking verses out of their context, turning the Bible into some kind of buffet line where, hey, I like this part from the Bible, so I'll do it. But I don't like this part over here, so I, I won't do it. No, people who really respect and have reverence for the Bible, they don't do that kind of stuff. They don't have that kind of attitude. They don't abuse the word of God. And you know what else they don't do? They also never stop trying to grow in it. They also never stop trying to do what Peter talked about. In 1 Peter 2 and verse number 2, no matter how long a person has been a Christian, no matter how long they've been on this earth, no matter how many Bible classes they've been in, how many sermons they have heard, if a person truly respects and have reverence for, has reverence for the word of God, 
They'll understand there's always more to learn. There's always more to study. There's always room for improvement because the word of God is so rich and so vast and so deep because it comes from the mind of God. There's always a need to reread books over and over again. That's the kind of mindset we got to have. That's the kind of mindset the people in Nehemiah chapter 8 had. The people gather outside of the water gate. They understood that the Bible serious business. Reading the Bible, serious business. Hearing teaching from the Bible, serious business. These people had a high level of awe and respect for the Bible, and we need to be just like them today. These people crave the Word of God. And they were awed by the Word of God, but then third and finally, let me point this out, how they also obeyed the Word of God. They also obeyed the message they were hearing from the Lord. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 8 one more time, please. I want to pick up with that reading with verse 13. Verse 13. We've considered the first 12 verses. Now look at verse 13. Nehemiah 8 and verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua to the son of Nun to that day. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily. From the first day to the last day, and they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. I want you to notice how after being touched by the word of God, after grieving and mourning and even weeping, after hearing the word of God, the scripture says, these verses tell us that the very next day, the next day, these people, this great assembly, came together again. This great assembly, they gathered together again the next day. In fact, the scripture makes it very clear that they decide to gather together again the next day to hear the word of God again. They say, we want some more of this. We want some more Bible. We want some more scriptures. We want to dig deep into the scriptures. These people came together for another Bible study. In fact, verse 14 says that during that Bible study, they made a discovery, didn't they? They discovered something. They discovered something very important. They discovered that a special occasion, the Feast of Booths, it was coming. The Feast of Booths, it was on the horizon. And someone says, what's the Feast of Booths? Well, my friends, the Feast of Booths was a very important feast day for the Hebrew people. 
the Feast of Booze was a time when God wanted his people, the Jewish people, the Israelite people to build or construct booths or tents. He says, I want you to make booths and I want you to live in them for about a week. He wanted them to do something that I would have really struggled with. And that's go camping. I said, I want you to go camping. I want you to go camping for about a week. I want you to go camping so that you can remember when your ancestors wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in the days of, in the days of Moses. The Feast of Booths was very important. It was very important according to the law of God, but unfortunately, these people hadn't observed it in a long time. Unfortunately, the Bible says they hadn't observed it since the days of Joshua. That means they hadn't observed it for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's the discovery they made on this occasion. In fact, they didn't just make that discovery, but notice secondly, notice secondly how they responded to the discovery. Notice how after learning that this feast had been neglected for a very long time, they didn't moan and complain. They didn't gripe. They didn't say, well, you know, this feast is not really a big deal. No, sir, no ma'am. Instead of saying stuff like that, the Bible says that these people got up and took some action. They got up and obeyed. They responded to this great discovery found in the word of God, which is simple obedience. Simple obedience. Since the feast was only a few days away, they started spreading the word about the discovery. And they made the booths, they made the tents, and they went camping. They went camping for about a week. Because that's exactly what God told them to do. These people discovered something great in the scriptures. And they responded to that discovery with obedience. The question is, what about us? What about me? What about you? What are we doing when we find ourselves in their sandals? What are we doing when we come across discoveries? In the word of God, for example, what are we doing when we have a problem with a brother or a sister in the church? And then we come across Matthew 18 and verse 15, where Jesus says, go to your brother and show him his fault in private. What are we doing when we make that discovery? What are we doing when we struggle with lying and making false promises and we come across what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 37 where Jesus says let your yeses be yes and your noes noes and anything beyond that it's it's evil what do we do when we struggle with pornography and we come across what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 28 where Jesus says he who looks upon another with lust in his heart has committed adultery in his heart What are we doing if we find ourselves being pessimistic 
and always worried about the future. But then we come across all these psalms we've been reading this year, psalms that tell us to pray to God and, and lean on God and trust God to take care of us. What are we doing if we're just poor stewards of our financial blessings? We're just really wasteful with our money, and we're always stacking up all kinds of debt. But then we come across all these proverbs that tell us that God doesn't want us to live like that. God wants us to be responsible. God wants us to be responsible with our blessings. What do we do if we've never been baptized before? But then we come across Mark 16 and verse 16, where Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. How are we responding to the discoveries we find or make in the Bible? From the example of this great assembly, we see that the only proper way to respond to the word of God is to obey it. It is to make personal application. It is to submit to it. It is to do exactly what it says. That's what those people did. After reading and studying the word of God, the question is, what are you doing? After reading and studying it this morning, what are you going to do if you are a Christian who's currently harboring sin in your life, what are you going to do if you're someone who's not a Christian? And you need to respond to the gospel with faith and repentance and baptism. Are you going to get up and be a doer of the word? Or are you just going to be merely a, a hearer? Will you be a hearer or a doer? If you're ready to get up this morning and be a doer of the word of God, then we certainly will aid you with that. If that means we need to pray with you and pray for you because you're a Christian who's ready to repent this morning, or if it means you need to respond to the gospel for the first time, whatever we need to do to help anyone this morning get their lives right with the Lord, it will be 